This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. These assets are going to allow us to live happy, healthy, and purposeful lives. And they're also going to allow us to give generously both of our time and our money. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, I'm going to share how our family has increased our net worth by $900,000 in nine years. And after that, we are back with our Be The Change segment. The focus of this segment, everybody, just to remind you, is to highlight nonprofits or charities that are dedicated to helping children just get a better shot at life. So this month, we're featuring the Director of Communications from Feeding America, Zuwani Villarreal. She's going to share the state of hunger in America and what we can do to help. All right, let's jump into today's show. One fall night in 2010, my wife Nicole and I were watching the Susie Orman show. I used to DVR it. That's, uh, remember DVR? I don't know if they still have DVR. Maybe just because I cut cable. I don't know what DVR is. (laughs) Anyway, I used to DVR it. And there was this fun segment where someone would call in and Susie would analyze the person's financial situation and then give them a grade, you know, like between A, B, C, D, and F. And it was called, how am I doing? One term that they kept throwing out there and I kept seeing over and over again was the term net worth. And since Nicole and I were new in our marriage, really hadn't been focused on our personal finance situation very much, We really had no idea what net worth meant. It's a new term for us. But since we were making like, you know, around $130,000 combined, the two of us together, we figured our net worth must be huge. We're making good money. We just got married. I was making, what was I making? Like 70 or something like that. And then she was making 60 or vice versa. I don't remember. Somewhere around there. So when we got married, just shortly before that, we're like, wow, we're we're making six figures now. (laughs) So anyway, we thought our net worth would probably be just gigantic. And after the show was over, we decided, well, why don't we go see how rich we really are? There was no doubt in our mind that we'd be better off than a lot of the folks that were calling into the show and getting an F grade from Susie. So we walked upstairs and we had this big whiteboard in our upstairs guest room and we started writing on it. We wrote down our assets on the left side and then our liabilities on the right side. So our assets are what we owned and then our liabilities are what we owed. That's pretty much how Susie had it broken down in her show. And we said, oh, let's just repeat that. And we started to discover something. We weren't rich. (laughs) We were kind of broke, actually. We were making really good money together, but our liabilities were much higher than our assets. 
we ended up having around $226,000 of liabilities that included my mortgage, my student loans, and my wife's car loan. But our assets were only $176,000. So we had a negative $50,000 net worth. So there was no way that we were going to get an A grade on Susie's segment (laughs) with a negative $50,000 net worth. So this moment was kind of an epiphany moment for us. It was like a jolt of reality that, yeah, we're making good money, but we're not really using it very well. So our short-term goal was to get this net worth number in positive territory as soon as possible. And since we were both partnered together, like I said, newly married, combined income, over six figures, we said, hey, let's do this. Let's let's make this a, a good situation for our marriage and take our family to the next level. So here's what we did to increase our net worth by $900,000 over the next nine years. So I'll walk you through the steps that we had as well as share our net worth number during that time frame. So number one, track your net worth. Our net worth total as of September 2010 was negative $50,000. So Nicole and I quickly realized that we couldn't improve our financial situation if we weren't tracking our net worth. This number was going to be our barometer for our financial success in the future. So we took all our numbers off the whiteboard And then we inserted them into a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. And from that point on, we updated our asset and our liability totals monthly to track our progress. Even just seeing those numbers in that spreadsheet and refreshing it every month and looking at it and seeing our progress, it definitely helped. Number two, live on a budget. So our net worth total, fast forward about four months in January 2011, was now negative $35,000. We still had more liabilities, $213,000 versus our $178,000 of assets, but we were making progress. We were heading towards zero, right? Another monthly habit that Nicole and I started to adopt around this time was living on a budget. So we got the idea after reading Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover, That's where he talked about the importance of living on a zero-based budget and giving every dollar an assignment. And for us, getting on the same financial page before the month began was really important for us, for our marriage. We would take the opportunity to review our spending and saving and debt balances each month. We'd update that net worth chart and plan out our next month's budget. And then we'd also discuss our financial dreams and And the reason we wanted to track our net worth and plan for the future. We eventually learned about Mint. And I know I've talked about that on the show quite a bit. We've been using that tool now probably for about seven, eight years. Well, let's see. This is 2011. So yeah, eight, nine years, something like that. And that helped us to automate our budgeting process and take things out of the spreadsheet and just make it a little easier. We also started using personal capital a few years after that to track our net worth. And that just helped us to keep things a little automated and help us to track it overall. Both of those tools are free, by the way. (laughs) Number three, eliminate your consumer debt. So around September 2011, our net worth total 
was $20,000. So we broke through the zero mark and it took us about, yeah, it took us about a year. So that was great. Once we did a full focus and made some changes. So our liabilities at that point were $170,000, just the mortgage. And our assets were $190,000. So we are at $20,000 positive. And we did that by eliminating our debt. We got inspired by Dave Ramsey and his debt-crushing ways. We decided that becoming consumer debt-free would be an excellent way to increase our net worth. That way, we're just clobbering that liabilities column, right? For me, I hated having my student loans, and I wanted them gone as soon as possible. I ended up using way too many student loans outside of school too. You know, they, they kind of give you the option to pay for whatever you want. And oh, I took advantage of it. I, I even bought Nicole's engagement ring with my student loans. And that was, that was no good. <laughs> and Nicole, she had her 2008 Audi A4 that she still drives today, by the way. And she thought it would be incredible to just pay that thing outright and own the whole thing. So that's what we did with that year of hard work together. We did our monthly budget party every month, and we discovered that those debts could be gone within one year, and that that is what we did. So what we did is essentially lived on my income, and then we used Nicole's to pay off the debt, and it worked. So we were now in positive net worth territory by September 2011. And we celebrated a little bit by driving in Nicole's paid for Audi A4 and just having a really great night together. So that was really cool. Let's keep on moving on here and showing you how we keep on growing it. Number four, save 50% of your income. So January 2012, just four months after that, we had gotten to about 45000 in our total net worth. And that helped by us continuing to grow our assets. So we got a little more cash flow now with no debt. So we started to do some other things with our money. And at this point in our marriage, we were about a month away from having our first child. Our financial standing was looking really good. We increased our income to around $170,000 by the end of the year in 2011. So our little Zoe was about to be born into a debt-free family, and we just felt really proud about that. Now, we liked our current home, but we started thinking about maybe growing out of that home because our family was going to be turning into three soon and eventually four, and we wanted to get into a little bit of better school system and in truth, Nicole never really got used to living in my bachelor pad. <laughs> so the, the housing search began. We started to look for something that would be what we thought our dream home would be, right? So we thought, hey, why don't we come up with a big, big down payment? And that way, we won't have that big of a mortgage if and when we decide to buy this house. So our plan was to live on 50% of our income and save the other half. Number five, increase your income. So February 2013, fast forwarding about another year, our net worth total jumped to $210,000. So that was a big, big year for us in 2012. Both of us had an outstanding year income-wise. We were both working our full-time jobs, 
and we brought in the most money we've ever made as a couple in one year. And it was $280,000, almost $300,000 in one year. A lot of it was from my commission-based sales job. And I achieved the company record for the most annual revenue brought in on one of our most important counts. And it was a small company, so it was a pretty big deal for our company. And with that, they gave me a great, great commission. So we ended up saving way more than 50% that year. And here's some of the highlights that we did with that money. So we saved over 100000 bucks just in cash in, in a savings account. We updated the current home we were living in to make our kitchen nicer and our backyard nicer and things like that. Uh, I ended up buying my first car with cash. I ended up buying a Audi A4 at the time as a 2010 pre-owned, but it was great. I had no, no car payments right off the bat. And we funded our daughter's 529 savings account with about 10,000 bucks right when she was born. And then at the end of the year, we traveled to Puerto Rico for a nice getaway over the holidays. So it was a great year, great income. We had a lot of great things that happened to us and we saved a boatload. Number six, get a 15 year mortgage. So in January, 2014, our net worth total was now $359,000, another big jump. And we finally ended up buying that dream home. So the cash savings we amassed allowed us to put down 45%. is about $150,000 down payment. And this cut our new mortgage principal by a gigantic amount. We ended up buying a $350,000 house and we got a $195,000 mortgage on it. So when we put 155 down, that just made the whole process a lot easier. <laughs> so our plan was to pay off this mortgage in five years or less. Nicole and I agreed upon it, and that was our goal. Number seven, be flexible because life happens. In January 2015, about another year later, our net worth was around $385,000. So it went up, but just not a ton more because we had some things happen. <laughs> Our second child came into the world, Calvin boy, my little boy, he's now five. <laughs> and we decided to have Nicole stay at home and raise our two kids. So since we'd essentially been living on one income for quite a while with the amount of money we had coming in, it wasn't that big of a life shocker for us but it definitely required some adjusting. You know, once you get used to living on a higher income, it gets tough to dial things back. My income was still very comfortable at that time in 2014. It was around $160,000. And the general income change did slow our net worth growth quite a bit. But honestly, those previous years, the that 2012 year was, was just like a crazy unicorn year. <laughs> we were just happy that we saved like we did the amount that we saved because it helped us to do some really cool things and allow Nicole to spend more time with our kids. And, and that was really one of the best investments and best decisions that we've made as a family. Number eight, max your retirement savings. 
we end up jumping a couple of years here. January 2017, our net worth is now $547,000. So we've only got $50,000 left on our mortgage at this time. And our assets have climbed to around $600,000. So things are looking up for the Hill family. In 2016, we decided that maxing out all three of our retirement accounts, 401k, my Roth IRA, and Nicole's Roth IRA, was a smart move. My workplace 401k, I had been maxing that one since 2013, but we had not been doing the same for the Roths. But when you're maxing your 401k, things start to climb, man. It was really great. That helped us to grow our assets quite a bit. And my company matched uh, 15% of my contributions. So doing the max and getting the getting the match <laughs> made a big difference. So in addition to paying down our mortgage principal, all of these tax advantage plans, the 401k and the Roth IRA helped us to break that half million mark as our net worth hit that $547,000 mark that year. Number nine, pay off your mortgage early. So now we are in February 2018, and our net worth total is now $679,000. At this point, we are mortgage-free. The end of 2017, November 2017, we paid off our mortgage just under four years, one year ahead of schedule. Nicole and I and the kids, we had a great celebration together, and we made this mortgage pinata out of the mortgage papers, and the kids got to destroy it and have candy and treats and things like that. It was a lot of fun. We had a, we had a great time. But one of the, the reasons we did that is that we want the kids to remember that so they can be inspired to live without debt in their future. So without a mortgage, our net worth definitely started to increase pretty steadily. And in 2017, the stock market did really well, and that helped to grow our retirement assets as well. Number 10, save for our first rental property. So January 2019, our net worth is now $764,000. We have no liabilities. We have a lot of assets. Our home is valued at around $418,000. And we've got a good amount of retirement assets going. And 2018 saw a little bit of a drop in the stock market. But we weathered that storm and we still kept up a high savings rate. And most of our extra money that we had went into a savings account to save for our first rental property. We thought, hey, this might be a great way to make some money and continue to build our net worth together. We also did some fun stuff like updating our home and we went on some great epic family vacations to Cabo San Lucas and Disney World and and California. We had a lot of fun together and definitely started using our assets for a lots and lots of fun. Number 11, create a 30 hour work week lifestyle. So now we are here today in January, 2020 and our net worth total sits at $917,000. We have no liabilities and a lot of assets. So recently, we decided that we're not going to buy our first rental property. (laughs) It's just something that we don't want to put into our lives right now. 
It seems like more work. And right now, we want to try out less work. So a couple weeks ago, I gave notice at my full-time job that I wanted to transition into working on my small business, this podcast, my blog, full-time. And my goal is to work 30 hours per week so I can spend more time with family, taking care of my health, and enjoying more life today. I was inspired by my wife who recently went back to work and created a 30-hour work week that she loves. She's got a short commute, her workload is reasonable, and it's a nice change of pace for a woman who's been a stay-at-home mom for nearly five years. So we've come a long way since our negative $50,000 net worth in 2010, and I'm really proud of the partnership that Nicole and I had along the way. And without partnering with her, none of this would have been possible. And we're closing in on that million dollar net worth number. And that's pretty exciting. But my first thought is, it's just a number. On the surface, it really doesn't mean anything. But if you peel back the layers of what's in that asset column, it kind of discover and you see what our net worth is made of. Our home, the, the place that we've raised our children, the place that we relax and enjoy our lives. Our cars, the cars that get us around to see family, to work on passion projects we have. Our retirement savings, it's going to allow us to have a nice, relaxing retirement. And our emergency savings, that's going to allow us to take care of any emergency situations we have so we can continue to have this great lifestyle. These assets are going to allow us to live happy, healthy, and purposeful lives And they're also going to allow us to give generously, both of our time and our money. So with a little hard work and a little luck, I think our kids are going to see our example and continue to strengthen this family tree of ours in the future. So I want to hear from you now. Where are you in your net worth journey? Are you early on like we were in negative land or are you close to passing that $0 net worth mark? Or are you growing your net worth to a point you never thought you would? I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me a note on social at Andy Hill MKM. And let's keep the conversation going. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs 
Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Be the Change segment this month, we are featuring Feeding America, the nation's largest domestic hunger relief organization. Together with individuals, charities, businesses, and government, their goal is to end hunger in our country. I've invited the Director of Communications, Zuani Villarreal, to tell us more about this organization. We're also going to discuss the state of hunger in our country, how this affects our nation's children, and what we can do about it. Welcome to the show, Zuwani. Hi, Andy. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. How many of our fellow countrymen, the citizens that are in our country, how many of them go hungry each day? Well, here in America, I think hunger is one of those invisible problems. People don't realize how many people struggle to get enough access to nutritious food every day. According to the USDA Food Insecurity Report last year, it was about 37 million people in the United States that struggle with hunger. And that also includes more than 11 million children. These 37 million people, through our Map the Meal Gap study, we know that they live in every community in every county in the United States. And we know that they need our help. One in uh, nine people, one in seven children that face hunger. That's a lot for one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. Uh, so talk to me about our nation's children. We said, you said 11 million children in our country. That's mm -hmm. a big number. How does hunger affect a child who goes without food? Well, it's very important for children that we do everything we can to make sure that they have enough nutritious food as they're growing and developing, uh, going to school. We want them to be hungry to learn and not hungry for food. So it affects it. Hunger can affect them in so many different ways, behavioral, physical, um, physiological development, all of that stuff can impact the child's uh, developments if they don't have adequate nutritious food. Mm. Um, and I want to go back to say that 37 million people, they're not what you would typically think are the hungry. A lot of people associate homelessness with hungry, but that is a small percentage. Mm. So those 37 million people and 11 million children, there are neighbors, there are coworkers, their family, we go to church with them. We can ride the bus with them to work. 
they're everywhere and they just are struggling month to month, day to day to put enough food on the table. And that's why Feeding America and that network of 200 food banks that we work with is here to help end hunger. Well, let's talk a little bit about what your organization does then. You, you talk about it being a network and a food bank. What does that mean and, and how are you helping our, our neighbors? Well, as you said in, inter- in the introduction, we are the largest hunger relief organization in the United States. We are the number two nonprofit, according to Forbes' list of top 100 charities. We are a network of 200 food banks that serve every county and every state, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. Through those 200 food banks, we're providing food assistance to more than 40 million people. We are serving every state, every county, and we are partnering with more than 60,000 meal programs and church pantries and soup kitchens to provide that food assistance to the people that are turning to food banks for help. Tell us what a food bank is. Just kind of break that down for us. What, what can yeah. somebody expect when they when they understand what that is? Yeah. So at the national level, I would say Feeding America is like the the association of food banks, right? And then a food bank at the local level would be like a distribution center that acquires uh, and distributes truckloads of food donations. They work with everybody in the food industry from farmers and growers to manufacturers and retailers, restaurants and caterers. So they're gathering and collecting all those food donations into that central hub where it's then being distributed to those food pantries and church pantries and meal programs that are giving the food out. Uh, directly to the people in need. So the food bank is kind of that distribution hub. Feeding America at the national level, we're helping and supporting, uh, working with partners and growers and food donors at the national level, corporations, et cetera. And the local food bank is that hub there at the center. Some food banks also do direct distribution and nutrition education as well. So for example, rural hunger is something that we're trying to address. And maybe there's not an organization or a pantry in a certain community in a certain county that we can partner with. Food banks will do a direct distribution and something like a mobile pantry is what we call it. And they'll send a truckload of fresh and perishable food, set up a distribution. Maybe they'll partner with a church and set up in the parking lot and the community knows to go there to get some food that they need. Got it. I understand Food waste is is a big problem. Is there a way that you guys, Feeding America, is supporting to take the food that's being wasted and then get it to the people who actually need it? Well, absolutely. So 72 billion pounds of food uh, goes to waste every year here in the United States. That's a lot of food. Um, And again, if I remind you guys, it's 37 million people that are facing hunger. So if we can help tackle one issue, I think we can help support the other. Feeding America is the largest hunger relief organization in the United States, but we're also the largest food rescue organization in the United States. So through that, those partnerships with national retailers, with uh, food donors, with farmers and growers, we are working to rescue food that would otherwise end up in landfills. And this is perfectly good, nutritious food um, that for one reason, for a matter of logistics or sell-by dates or packaging mistakes, might not end up on the shelves at a grocery store. But it's perfectly good, and it'll go on the table of a family that needs it. Hmm. From a consumer perspective, from from just the everyday Joe who's listening right now, what can they do to help the food waste problem? I mean, what is there anything that we could be doing better? Well, there's lots of things that the, a consumer can do around the food waste issue. One, first and foremost, just in their own home, just be mindful of the food that they purchase and the food that they eat um, and to reduce waste. Just be conscious of that. 
But the second and third things that they can do is just ask their local retailers, ask their, they're connected to food businesses. If they do donate to the food bank, any, any unsold, any unused product, connect them to the food bank, tell them the food bank is here to rescue food and and to get it to the hands of, of families that need it. And then just raise awareness about the issues and supporting the local food bank as well. Food banks need those trucks and those drivers to go out and about and go pick up that food, those food donations. So support your local food bank and then volunteer as well. So volunteering um, at food banks is something that everybody can do. Millions of volunteers visit food banks every month and donate millions and millions of hours of volunteer labor. And food banks can't do what they do without the help of volunteers. So volunteers help sort um, that donated product that is rescued, that is recovered. They sort it, make sure that it's still good and packaged and labeled correctly and uh, edible and nutritious. And they'll put that together into food boxes that'll go out uh, through that network of pantries and agencies. So there's a variety of different ways that people can connect. And I encourage them to go to feedingamerica.org. There's a food bank locator right at the top of the page. You enter your zip code and you find your food bank and you learn how to get involved. Excellent. Yeah, I love the idea of volunteering. And if you have a family involving them in it to see the benefits of helping your your neighbor in need, because I feel like that's that's a bigger conversation and, and one that I'm excited to be a part of. Let's talk about how donations and money are used to support your organization. You know, this mm-hmm. the, as we talked about before we started, Zuani, a lot of a lot of this segment is about we've gotten to a point in our in our lives where we really want to give back and and help our, our country and our neighbors thrive. So what happens when we donate to an organization like yours? Well, first, I want people to understand that what we're trying to do is end hunger in America. And everybody can think about uh, the food that they eat, and everybody needs food, water, and air to survive. So hunger does not discriminate. Hunger does not take a vacation. Hunger occurs year-round here in the United States. And all of us can sympathize and empathize with families that are going without. So what individuals can do and what what happens when they support Feeding America. For us at the national level, for every $1 that we receive, we're able to distribute and help provide at least 10 meals to people in need through that network of food banks. Food banks are incredibly efficient. We use volunteers. We use volunteer labor wherever we can. We scrimp and scrape to make sure that everything that we're doing and those dollars that we receive is going to go and put food on the table for the people that we serve incredibly efficient at the local level. Um, administration costs are minimal percentage, less than 10% typically, 2 to 3% is the average for food banks. So your $1 uh, donation to a food bank and to Feeding America goes a long way to help put food on the table. Excellent. Yeah, guys, when you when you research organizations like this and you look into them, what Zwani's talking about is the the majority of the the money you're donating is going to solving the problem, not to staff, administration, marketing, advertising, etc. Things like that that help it really make the impact. So I appreciate you with the transparency there, Zuani, and and helping us understand. Can you share some positive results that your organization's had over the past what five to ten years as you guys have grown? I feel like I see your logo <laughs> everywhere, which is great. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about the results you guys have had and how you're marching towards that mission of ending hunger. Yeah, so that vision of a hunger-free America is what we're marching towards, right? And we measure progress through a variety of different ways. And I mentioned before that USDA food security report, that's something that we look look at every year when it comes out in September. 
Um, we also take that research from, from USDA and we do our own uh, kind of uh, number crunching, adding Census Bureau information, Labor Bureau information, and we get our study called Map the Meal Gap. So Map the Meal Gap tells us what the food insecurity rates are for every county in the United States. And we're looking at that and we kind of lay overlay the food distribution from our food banks to see how many pounds are being distributed in this county versus that county, how many people in need are here versus there. And food banks really look at that as kind of a way to do a strategic map of where they can focus efforts to get to the people in need, find those pockets of, of families and individuals that we aren't reaching at this point. So what do we need to, to get to them? Do we need another truck and a driver? Do we need to seek out food partnerships in those communities? What else can we do? So we track and measure that constantly and on an annual basis that map the meal gap in the USDA food security report really guide our work. Um, we know this latest report from food, uh, USDA told us that the food insecurity rate dropped for the first time to pre-recession levels. Mm. Now, the recession was over 10 years ago, but it took that long for the levels to go back to that from more than a decade ago. So recovery is slow uh, and it's a process. And as our food banks improve and increase their operations, we know that there's still people out there that are still struggling and our work is still uh, needs to be done. That's still 37 million people that need our help. Absolutely. A lot of work and uh, it's a great mission too. Well, this is a a problem that's in our country that I think a lot of us can get behind. We've, you know, we've maybe felt hunger in our lives, but not to the extent that our 37 million neighbors are feeling each day. So let's, I guess, let's all take that thought and see what we can do to support an organization like this, Feeding America, with our, with our time and our money and our voice, like, uh, like Zuwani said. So Zuwani, tell us how people can connect with Feeding America and consider donating. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. Um, Anybody that wants to learn more about Feeding America um, and how they can find their local food bank or support at the national level can visit our website, feedingamerica.org. On there, there's a food bank locator, so you can find your local food bank and connect with them. Or you can make a donation at the national level or find your local food bank. But feedingamerica.org is the place. Also, if you want to are curious about what hunger looks like in your community, you can find the map, the meal gap study there look up your county, enter your zip code, and find out what the reality is there. And as I mentioned, it's and what food insecurity is, what facing hunger means, is that maybe as a parent, you're skipping meals to make sure that your children get enough to eat. Or maybe the child's only meal is at school, that breakfast and free or reduced cr- price breakfast and lunch. Um, and for a senior, they're making tough choices of, do I buy get this medication that I need to manage my blood pressure or blood sugar, or do I get food? So the tough choices that people are making every day here in the in this country is something that we can together can solve um, with enough people that want to make hunger unacceptable. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing this message. It's an honor to speak to you, somebody who's dedicating their career and their life to solving a really important problem here in the United States. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Now that's an organization focused on ending a major problem in our country. If you have the means and the passion towards this issue, please consider donating at feedingamerica.org. I am matching all donations up to $300, so please email me a copy of your donation receipt 
to Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com and we will double the impact. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, connect with me on social media. You can do it at Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Andy Hill MKM. That's at Andy Hill MKM. And the second thing, number two, subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast player. Just hit that little button and it will automatically make me smile. (laughs) And then number three, the last thing, share this episode with a friend who's interested in growing their net worth and giving back to a great charitable organization. You can find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 175. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 175. And if you are new to this show, I would highly recommend you check out session 116, the 10 steps to young family wealth and happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It's a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Audrey Hepburn. As you grow older, you will discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself, the other for helping others. Let's build wealth and give, my friends. Carpe diem. (laughs) 